0: So, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am one of your co-hosts, John Robb, joined here by my always fabulous and wonderful co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how are you doing?
1: Doing good, and you definitely got that right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hey, sometimes I do get one right. We've got a great show for you today. Uh, we are interviewing Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child, an interview that Jeff and I did. It's uh, one of the best. It was a great one.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, they're such great writers, and it was fun to talk to them.
0: Yeah, so they'll be talking about the latest Pendergast book, um, which, is com- which is out.
1: And, Jeff, didn't you read that? I did. It's called Old Bones, and it's wonderful.
0: Right, and so it's definitely not an old book, but it's Old Bones. We want to remind you all for uh, all the shows, make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com uh, and make sure you see what they got going on and what they have coming out. So are we ready to hit it? Let's do it. All right. Here you go, everybody. Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child coming your way right now. All right. We want to welcome you all here. Of course, we have a very special interview coming up. Uh, Jeff and I are very excited about this one. Jeff, how you doing? Doing great. Awesome. So we are, for the first time, able to have... Best-selling authors Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child on together, and they're going to be talking about their newest book, which is coming out on August the twentieth, called Old Bones, and it is the first in a new series. And so, Doug and Lincoln, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you guys doing?
2: Oh, we're good. Yeah, excellent. Uh, thank you so much for asking. Thank you for having us.
0: Yes, and thank you guys so much for coming on. It's an absolute pleasure for us to be able to speak with you. And let's just kind of just jump right into it here. And why don't you just tell us, you know, since this is the first in a new series starring your uh, new character, Nora Kelly, tell us about Old Bones.
3: Well, it's actually actually the first book in a new series featuring Nora Kelly, who has been in a number of Pendergast books. She was in... Cabinet of Curiosities. That was her first book uh, in which she was the archaeologist at the Museum of Natural History uh, who Pendergast consulted when he was, uh, encountered this very mysterious burial of 36 uh, uh, people in Manhattan. And uh, so she's been in quite a few novels, Thunderhead and so forth. And we realized that we just love this character. She's, so, she's just this great you know, characters, she's you know authors do sometimes fall in love, uh, even with fictitious people. and so both Lincoln and I said we gotta we gotta write a series featuring her. and so that's this is the first book in the series, Old Bones. And uh, maybe Lincoln can talk a little bit about what <laughs> what what exactly the uh, book is about because it's pretty pretty wild.
2: Yeah, let me, let me add a little bit to that. Um, I think that, uh, hopefully Doug would agree with this, that you know, we've written about 175 books together. Um, actually, no, it's more like 35. It just feels like 175. But uh, o- over the years, uh, many strong female characters have, have emerged, and, and three or at least three have had very uh, long-lasting um, roles. Um, one of whom is, is the aforementioned Nora Kelly, an archaeologist who's appeared in several books um, and uh, another one is Corey Swanson who we've seen develop from a troubled high school goth uh, in Kansas to a budding FBI agent um, over over many years um, and you know, um, while well, this is a Nora Kelly book because she's ha- had more screen time and and we wanted to differentiate these books from the FBI books of, of Pendergast. You know we thought, you know these two would make a great a great team, um, not an official team, obviously, but you know uh, an archaeologist and, and, uh, and a young FBI agent on her first missions with a background in physical anthropology. You know they could really uh, we could have fun, and we could show two really strong and interesting women. Um, headlining this, this, this series, um, and that was our thinking um, uh, uh, behind old bones. Um, the other, the third female character, who is very, is very strong, also is is more closely allied to the Pendergast series, so she didn't need to be be considered really. Um, but as for the actual plot, um, we wanted something that would use. Uh, Nora Kelly's archaeological expertise, and could also we could also rope in Corey Swanson because of you know murder mayhem and also uh, 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 things that would would test her um, her foreign, forensic knowledge. Um, and Doug had the brilliant idea um, of tying the story in to the Donner Party. Um, which you've probably heard of. It's uh, it's this infamous uh, wagon train that took the quote unquote shortcut um, uh, to get to California and ended up um, in the Sierra Nevadas, um, wintering over in the in the worst winter imaginable. And by the time spring came and and uh, um, people came, search parties came, you know they were most either dead or had been eaten by the others. Um, and, you know, we thought about this. And of course, this, you know, the gruesomeness of the tragedy, you know, it, it made her sure, unfortunately, uh, it makes great thrill material. And we also were able to find some particular elements that brought it into the present in a very shocking and surprising way. Um, And it seemed like a great vehicle for Nora and Corey both. And that is uh, how uh, we came up with the idea. And basically the story, it didn't write itself, but the idea certainly came together very, very satisfactorily. Well, I'm thrilled that you brought back both
1: Nora and Corey. I love them both. And uh, I'm excited to hear it's going to be a series. But I'm curious, why did you decide you wanted to start a new series when you already have two other series going. Uh, does this mean three books a year now?
3: No. No, I wish uh, I wish we <laughs> that uh Oh boy, that that Jeff Jeff's always trying to get
2: more books out of authors. <laughs> the reason I mean I
3: I wish we could do what Jim Patterson is able to do but uh we just don't we just aren't able to but no, we just you know we're we're always we want to keep our books Fresh. And there's always a danger if you have a a series of books using the same characters. We've noticed that sometimes authors fall into a rut and the character seems to be tired, becoming tired. Maybe the author is becoming tired. And so we need to keep ourselves interested and we need to keep ourselves engaged with our characters. And we had this idea for a series, an archaeological thriller series, involving Nora Kelly, who's a terrific archaeologist, in which she somehow the archaeology intersects with crime in some way, and then Corey Swanson becomes involved because she is now uh, she graduated from the John Jay College of Criminal Justice. She worked for a couple of years in law enforcement. Then she went to the FBI Academy and now she's a freshly minted FBI agent working in the Albuquerque office uh, during, and she's in her probationary period, which is the uh, two years when you're a new FBI agent, you generally have a, you're ghosted. You have a person, a mentor looking over your shoulder and making sure that you know you're learning the ropes. So Corey is just this new agent. And so in this dig that uh, uh, Nora is uh, directing in the Sierra Nevadas, uh, there's a crime committed. And Corey, through investigating a series of crimes, ends up connecting them with what's going on in the, in the Sierra Nevada mountains at this dig. And that's how the two of them come together. Uh, they don't like each other at all at first. I mean, Nora's horrified to have this FBI agent at her dig and Corey is very demanding and is really just learning how to be an agent and how to try to work with people and and so there's a lot of sparks fly in the beginning but uh they both uh in the end learn to respect each other as they face the yeah, really
2: horrific meet it starts out with like a meat awful basically um, but uh, uh, another reason for for starting this series was the fact that our second series involving Gideon crew um, was coming to an end for natural causes uh, involving Gideon himself um, and uh, people loved the series and and uh, we we hated to see it end but uh, we we found a great way for him to for the books to go out anyway. And um, we felt it was time that we, we, we listened to the, the all the people who wanted to see more of Nora and more of Corey. And um, this seemed like an, a great time to sort of change horses mid-strong. And of course, if, you know, uh, um, there's, a, there's a quadrilogy of movies about Gideon Crew, we might consider writing more books involving him. Um, but for the time being... We're still doing two series at present. It's just that um, Nora and Corey uh, are, are coming in for for a brand new series, which, as Doug said, um, is, is you know is one way of keeping things fresh and interesting for our audience. This, as Doug and I do in many ways for each other, you know, it's it's sort of like the virtual equivalent of my sneaking into his office and lighting a. Match between his toes when he's not looking.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Lincoln does keep things interesting, but not in a good way.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! All right. Um, that's good. Well, that's funny. That was a bold statement. I'm going to have to, uh, you know, respond to that. Over course of course, You know, but, you know, Lincoln.
3: Ahead, Lincoln. What... Here's here's what Lincoln does. He'll send me some chapters he's written, and embedded in these chapters is something truly disgusting, horrific, some horrible double entendre or something that if it ever got into print, would, we'd be condemned forever, just to see if I notice it. you know. It's like a teasing thing. And of course, I always do see it. But some of the things I've written that were pretty horrible have slipped past them and even reached, gotten into our books. So if you read our books very closely, you might come across some Double entendres <laughs> which, um, <laughs> but uh, for some reason, our readers never seem to see them they 're pretty subtle
1: I, I love that
3: um,
1: so they've you've talked about writing together i'm curious um, how do you plot and structure your novels together
3: well we uh, it's, We have a system that has evolved over time, but generally we sit down not with each other because we live 2,000 miles apart and we don't want to you know, get too close because we might come to blows, but we, we sit down and we talk about, the we have an idea and we just go over it and we talk about it, we argue about it, we get all excited about it and then we get all disgusted with it um, and then eventually this process yields a, a plot. You know, there's a, big, there's a big distance between an idea and a plot And then we write up a narrative, and then we break it into chapters, and Link will take half the chapters, and I'll take half the chapters, and then I write my chapters, and he writes his chapters, and then we swap. And so I have to rewrite Lincoln's leaden, uh, dull prose. Uh, It's very hard work. And then Lincoln ruins my gorgeous Shakespearean-level prose, which is very irritating to me. So then we have arguments and <laughs> and condemning each other and re, you know actually I'm I'm kidding uh, obviously but of course. the end result is I think uh, a pro style that is seamless that you can't tell who has written what and I think it's better than what we write on our own actually somehow we challenge each other to become better writers and it seems to work.
0: Absolutely, it seems to work.
2: The
1: the one thing, would you, Lincoln? Do you you have a response to that?
2: (laughs) (laughs) You you mean no? No, Lincoln doesn't uh, have a response. Oh, geez, here we go. Missing my uh, my 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 writing and my editing. No, you know, I've I've heard that particular canard, you know, unfounded canard, so many times, and I that my own old bones, you know, just don't want to rise.
3: The bait. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our our writing partnership is a bit like a bad marriage, um, and I mean, and with good know.
2: results. <laughs>
3: well, <laughs> yeah, except that the sex is terrible. <laughs> you know, the sex is terrible. We're sniping at each other constantly. That's why we have to live apart. We, you know, links in Florida, and I'm in New Mexico, and uh, and when we get together. We don't work. We sit around and we we link or break open a bottle of single malt Scotch and we'll have a few sips and we'll talk about what fine fellows we are and no work gets done.
1: Well, well I you've had thirty-five sure kids Doug. with bad sex. I like this. <laughs>
2: yeah. I have to make sure the Doug's wards aren't in the contagious phase before I meet with him. But you know, uh, um, normally uh, when we get together, we have a good time.
3: I'm not even going to inquire as to what you meant by that comment.
0: <laughs> I, I don't even know. I don't even know. I, I don't even <laughs> know like, if I should go there. I'm not even going to go there.
2: No, nothing will move. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, Okay, good. No interpretation needed.
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: So when you guys get down, like, you know, you're going to do the idea and, and you're going to look back at 1847 and the Donner family and, and, you know, the history of everything, do you kind of go in with maybe a preconceived idea, maybe how that history is going to evolve and then things kind of, you know, change a little as you actually dig yourself in and figure out how things really were? How how does that kind of work when when you start going back into the past and then having to kind of make your story kind of around something that, you know, time frame we never lived in
2: well the interesting thing about that is that Doug knows so much about that part of the country Um, you know I mean he's taken several horse thousand mile horseback rides um, through the most remote areas imaginable and so in some ways he can conjure up you know from his own experience what it's like to who lived back then and also uh, he he knows a lot about the history of the Donner Party uh, itself and we both know a fair amount about archaeology, so in terms of the, the the history and the era and the picture we paint, it's it's fair. That's one of the easier parts to to get right. The harder part is putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. Like, you know, I mean, um, uh, Steve Jobs had a famous quote about you can you can never connect the dots forward. You can only look backwards and see how the dots had were connected and it's it's that way when you're writing a novel you want the reader to finish the book and say wow this had this had to happen this way you know there's no other way the story could have unfolded but of course it could have unfolded in a thousand other ways that it would have been inferior um and we simply have to make sure that we have all the things in place and um to make sure that that ideal storyline hopefully ideal is is followed you know that may require some tweaking to the historical timeline changing locations of where the the bodies were buried or changing when somebody gets killed or by who i mean any number of things so it's actually the logistics of the the that time and the present time more so than the details um historical details that we we have trouble with or want to get get this right you know to to uh Make sure our readers have the best read possible.
1: That, that I, I like that, um, and I, I won't say food for thought because uh, we're talking about the Donner Party. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, Jeff, with the comedic relief. Hey, but, oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, I'm curious, why, uh, why do you both like the series format as opposed to doing standalones with the same characters? I know you're kind of trying to do something new with the Pendergasts, creating standalone thrillers for newcomers while also keeping the fans happy. But I'm curious why you do it that
3: way. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's really what we're interested in. It's, it's not really a calculated thing, but I think that this series that we're doing now with Nora Kelly pretty much each book is going to be a standalone novel, but at the same time, there's a greater reward in reading the books uh, in order than there would be in just reading them as standalone. I mean, like we are already working on the next uh, story in the Nora Kelly Kelly series. And it's just that we came up with the greatest idea that just, I can't tell you what it is because it's, that's the spoiler. You know what I mean? But it's just the most wonderful idea, and it combines a lot of our interests it, uh New Mexico, the wilderness, uh, buried treasure, uh, or maybe thinking it's buried treasure, uh, and also the nuclear age. And I, I won't go any farther than that, but it's, it's a fascinating mixture of the, of the old wow. and the new. And, uh, and, of course, it starts off with an, a minor archaeological investigation. Uh, which, uh, well, it, it actually starts off with a crime that Corey Swanson needs an archaeologist to excavate a, a skeleton of a person to see if the person was murdered, and so Nora excavates the skeleton, and then the mystery began begins. So, uh, but 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 the Donner Party. I've always been I've been fascinated with that for years. The whole idea of these 98 people going out into the wilderness and half of them eating the other half to survive snowed in, in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California. And then uh, they in fact have excavated uh, two of the Donner camps, very careful excavations. And they've been able to piece together sort of what happened and understand the desperation of these people because the bones they recovered have been gnawed down to little nubbins, you know, the sizes of dimes. I mean, you know, these people were eaten, and then the bones were broken up and boiled, and then they were gnawed on, and then they were chewed on, and, and nothing, almost nothing was left. And it just showed the desperation of these people. Um, and, and that really stuck with me. And so when we conceived this novel, we came up with the idea that there was a third Donner camp. And that's really the only way we changed history. Most of it's accurate. A third Donner camp. And Nora, they find it, and Nora then begins excavating, and they come across what they expect to find, which are the remains of people who have been eaten, and then they find a lot more. And that's where the novel really takes off. If, if you can imagine something worse than cannibalism, well, Lincoln and I managed to do it. It was actually <laughs> Lincoln who did it. He's the weird one. He's,
2: he's oh, of the one with a
3: truly sick mind.
2: Um, well since since you ended it on that note, if I if I could yank this conversation back from the meandering to uh your original question, um <laughs> this, I wasn't gonna Thank say you. that, but uh <laughs> oh, thanks for that, Doug. Um uh in, in answer to your serious question, we when we wrote our first book, Relic, you know, Pendegas was just one of many characters in a in um a, a large canvas, you know, um and uh, we put him in there because we originally had two, two cops very similar, two New York cops, and our editor didn't like, why didn't like that. Um, and so Doug grudgingly changed one to a character that immediately we both loved, and that person became Pendergast. Um, and we both added to him a lot of our own things that we would like to have been able to say or do ourselves, etc., etc. et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we didn't really foresee him having any further role. You know, that was just a standalone book that probably would never even get published. Um, and then uh, we did another book, and then we, for our third book, we did the sequel to Relic, um, and then we did a whole bunch of standalone novels, each one with a new set of characters and a new plot line and a new location, and then, you know, we struggled. we struggled for several years you know, at, at doing book signings where I did one book signing in Chicago where the audience consisted of me and uh, the bookstore manager and a security guard. And that was it. Um, but then oh, no. we uh, did another Pendergast book called The Cabinet of Curiosities, and that really seemed to um, gel with our readers. We, we realized we really missed Pendergast. And so we began writing, you know, more and more Pendergast books. And at first, people were asking for a lot of details about his family. You know, his, his, we, we made references to his crazy old, you know, uh, aunt and, you know, this, this locked room that would never be unsealed. And so the first book told a lot about Pendergast history, um, but eventually we just decided we needed to write more books that could be read by anybody and enjoy just as much without having read any previous books. And that's why the current Pendergast books are more standalone. But that's also why we write a lot of Pendergast books, because um, uh, people want more of it. And as for writing series, you know, they're all over the place. If you look at the landscape of thrillers right now, almost everything is a, you know, a Joe Blow novel by so-and-so. And I think it's because people like, characters that they can they can read uh again and again and um the author likes it too the, you know, the background of work is already done you know the character you like him you've invested time in, in, into creating him or her and um as long as the character is strong and uh the strong, the foundation is strong you know there's a there's a, there's a lot there that's uh to, to benefit both the writer and the reader very well, cool
1: just for the record I, I love the fact that you do it this way because I'm obviously a huge fan so
3: thank, thank you. you thank you <laughs> <laughs> and
0: <laughs> now but the one thing that you guys have done in the past was with like extraction, you guys kind of did a short story and with the ability of ebooks to be able to kind of do quick little novellas and little bridge things, you know, maybe from the series if you wanted to kind of do one or the other. Have you guys thought about maybe doing something like that? Like maybe bridging like a novella, like between series or between books to just kind of add a little bit more dimensional to the characters now that it's something that's, like I said, like it's a little more easy to do with ebooks being able to do stuff like that.
3: Well, we're actually doing, we're, we're doing something very unusual right now. Uh, Lincoln and I have written a short story uh, featuring Pendergast, starring Pendergast, that takes place in New Orleans, which is where he's from. And it's a, it's a long, long short story, and it's illustrated. It's really creepy, and it involves uh, – it is sort of connective material because it is anticipating a future novel. But here's the interesting thing. We're giving away this short story to the subscribers to our newsletter, and that's it. No one's going to get it. It's free only to our newsletter subscribers who are our most loyal readers, um, And because we feel like with this newsletter that we have, rather than like promoting our books and promoting ourselves, what we really want to do is provide further entertainment to our readers, uh, something that they can't get anywhere else, so... So this story, I'm really excited by it because we've, the illustrations are fabulous. The, uh, the story's a great story, and we don't have to worry about signing contracts or anything. We've just written it. We're, gonna, we're putting it in ebook form, and we're just going to give it away to, you know, whoever is subscribing to our newsletter at that time. Cool.
2: Yeah, it seemed like a good idea to, to us, you know, um, to, uh, to reward the, our, our faithful readers and Rather than just promote ourselves, you know, um, we're kind of like Mother Teresa that way. Uh, but um, another, <laughs> uh, another, <laughs> oh, wow, tough crowd here today. We <laughs> um, have our blessing, Lincoln. As remember,
0: <laughs> hey Lincoln. Remember, it's just us—the book manager and the security guard—right now.
2: Oh, that's all. Yes, oh, that's all who's I'm on here right back. now. We're <laughs> having a back. This is terrible. Well, yes. Um, okay, uh, but one thing I wanted to add was that you know, a, a related question to what you asked was, um, are your worlds going to intersect? You know, whether it's in a, an Amazon ebook or not. And with Gideon and Pendergast, we were very careful. Not to have them intersect uh, at all, um, except for one character in common to both series. But they never met up, um, and we wanted to keep them separate. But uh, the nice thing is that, as it happens, uh, with the new new Nora and Corey series, both of them happen to know Pendergast. Uh, And the funny thing is, the two women don't know that each other uh knows knows him and that you know we we leverage that for some amusement value um uh late in the book. Um so uh in that case, you know, we do um you know uh our are are looking for is more overlap with him. Uh, whether it be in free books we give to uh our newsletter uh readers or or more ebooks like Extraction, as you mentioned.
3: Yeah, and, and in each novel in the in the Cory Nora series, Pendergast makes a cameo appearance, and so he's always you're always going to see him, even if it's only for one chapter.
1: Oh, that's good. It that ties in everything too. I like that. Uh, so I, I got a hypothetical for you, um, wondering. In terms of all the kids you guys have had together, what has been the hardest thing for you both to tackle with all the writing you've done together?
2: The kids? Well, yeah, There's, you're you're 35 kids. Oh,
1: okay, all
2: right. Yeah, um, what's been the hardest Doug thing for you guys to tackle? Doug and I have yet to have had any kids together, although either yeah,
3: Lincoln is barren, unfortunately.
2: <laughs> We're still young,
3: so you know,
2: um, Doug, you want to take that first?
3: Um, well, let's, so what was the question again? It's uh, what. Oh, so
1: with all the writing you've done together, I'm curious. What's been the hardest thing for you both to tackle in a story?
3: Well, I think I, you know it's the middle of the book is always difficult. We tend to in our novels. I think have pretty good openings. Uh, sometimes they're a little slow, but. Most of the time, I think there's a very exciting opening, and the, the endings of our books are always exciting. Uh, people seem to feel that, our, that we end our books very well, and with a great, you know, flourish and a lot of action and and suspense and fear and terror. It's it's the middle where where we have to work. You know, it's you, you have to keep the pacing. You have to keep the suspense. You have to keep the reader wanting to turn the pages and wanting to get to find out what happens next. And you also want the characters to develop and to become real people and so forth. And so it's the middle part of the book. I think where Lincoln and I struggle. And I know we've had some instances where we've gotten two-thirds of the way through the book, and then we've just chopped the middle out and thrown it away and started over again. We haven't done that recently, but we did have to do that in the early days.
2: Yeah, it was I kind don't of know, like
3: what do you think, Link? Yeah. Um, well, Link, what do you think are the most uh, difficult yeah, parts of, you know?
2: Well, um I I was thinking more more from a a macro level looking down on it. Um we, there are certain parts that we almost always have difficulty with. Uh one is um we we've, we've written so many books and our readers are so, you know, uh perspicacious. Um uh, and that we have a tough time um, making sure that we we barge the story with enough clues so that we can lead them in a direction that they don't expect to go, and not have them guess who the you know the bad guy is on page fifteen. And you know, once they've seen our bag of tricks, it gets harder and harder to uh, make that work. Uh, it's also it's also something that we struggle at. To make sure every every ending, as Doug said, we write the ending and it's always, you know, it's always great and it's very satisfying, but we have to make sure it's different each time, you know, Pendergast, this can't happen to him, he can't be hurt this much, he can't be hurt, he can't be ungrazed, you know, what's going to happen to him, and we have to keep sure, make sure that that's not in any way mechanical, and then we have to decide whether or not any animal should die. Because it doesn't seem to matter how many humans you know uh get get di- die and whatever you know should God forbid one you know mosquito you know get slapped and uh um we hear about it um, uh, so you know and then and then the title you know sometimes we go back and forth with a publisher for a month um uh. Uh, you know, until we get the title just right. So there are a lot of things that, in particular, the fact that we've written so many books, um, they keep us really on our toes. You know, I'll say, "Hey, Doug, let's do this," you know, and he'll say, "We can't do that. We did that in you know X." Oh, damn, that's right. was <laughs> a good idea too. Because um, it's the most important thing for us is making sure that our books are fresh and exciting. And, and our, our loyal readers are rewarded. You know, I know some people seem to get comfort out of reading the same book over and over with a different name, you know. Um, uh, but we just don't write that kind of book. And thank you for that.
0: Yeah, because that's you know, got to be just boring for the author to keep writing the same book over and over. I mean, come on
2: boring but perhaps you know uh, well i'm not going to comment but um yes
3: well i think lincoln was about to say there there are quite a few writers out there who do write the same book over and over again
0: well there's and a difference some... between being a writer and being an artist and you're an artist and a writer could just be someone like you said who just writes the book over and over you create art every single time that would be like painting the same tree over and over just with a different color
3: Well, well, thank you. We do. Lincoln and I have a mortal fear of falling into a rut and just starting to write the same books over and over by a formula. So we're always striving, striving to come up with something new and fresh and different and to surprise the reader because the most wonderful thing about thrillers are the surprises when you're suddenly, you know, the twists and you're suddenly jerked in a different direction as a reader uh, that's what readers love it can't be predictable I mean
2: some authors like you know I mean are really good at writing the same book over and over they're excellent writers and it's probably easier not having to worry about you know the arc of each new story but um, because Doug and I write books we want to read ourselves um we wouldn't let that happen, you know. And um, and luckily, our partnership has, has sort of um, tilted over into the solo novels that we occasionally write um, because we, we remember those same lessons we've learned, you know, um, uh, when we're working on, on individual uh, material.
0: Well, well, speaking of twists, just real quick, Before we take you guys out, we want to, again, thank you so much for coming on and and having this time with us. But I'm going to twist it just a little bit, because Amanda Knox was just in the news again, and Doug and Amanda, you kind of have a connection. Can you talk about that for just a second?
3: Well, yes. I wrote a book called The Monster of Florence, which was a true story about a serial killer who murdered young lovers in the Tuscan Hills in Italy. And when I was researching that story, I was hauled in before the police. I was interrogated. I was accused of being an accessory to murder. The police did not like what I was doing. And the the chief prosecutor in that case was this fellow named Giuliano Mignini, who later became the prosecutor of the Amanda Knox case. And he's a, he's a really bad and corrupt prosecutor. So I then entered the... Into the defense of Amanda Knox. I mean, she was being framed for murder, essentially, by the police, and there were reasons why they were doing that to her. It wasn't random, uh, and so I came to her defense. And so since that time, we've, after she was released from prison and so forth, we've sort of become friends. And and uh, but yeah, she's she's uh, doing some interesting work these days. Very cool. So, so
2: again. I'm sorry, were the reasons that she was being framed, were they for the police or that this guy, this prosecutor's benefit or for other reasons?
3: Yes, it was for his benefit. It's it's a bit of a complicated story, but the prosecutor was under indictment at the time for abuse of office. And he was desperate to save himself. And when the Amanda Knox case came down, he said, oh, my God, this is a case. That's going to save my career, and he and the police chief, and the the chief investigators, the detectives, and so forth, uh, as well as the judge, the several judges that were involved, all went to school together. This like Peruge is like a small Texas town. They all went to school together. They all played soccer together. They're all buddies, and they came up with this way that they were all, that they were going to save him and also enhance their own careers. And this is what happened. You know, Amanda Knox and her boyfriend, who was an Italian, were the collateral damage.
2: Jeez, yeah, and that's yeah. why Doug doesn't visit that town anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: I don't eat Perugia chocolates anymore, those bocci chocolates. You're done. Luck, forget it. <laughs> He's afraid I'll get
2: thrown so, in the slammer and that'll be it.
0: So where's the best place for everyone to find out about your writing and your solo writing?
3: Well if you go to our uh website which is www.prestonchild.com uh you can find out all that stuff and if you want you can sign up for our newsletter and then you will get the free Pendergast short story which is coming out in at the end of June so sign up for the newsletter you get the free short illustrated short story and uh believe me it's a good one i think you, i think you're going to love it and then we're also only send out uh, about 12 newsletters a year so we're not going to if you give us your email address we're not going to bombard you five times a day with you know offers and that sort of thing
2: yeah and we don't give it to anybody else we also have a facebook page that, that doug is very good about um uh you know responding to people he's a lot better than i am and doug has an instagram page uh if you want to see the pictures that he's taken um of some of the beautiful scenery in Maine and New Mexico and other places. Nice.
0: Well, guys, we can't thank you enough for joining us for this short time. I uh, wish you nothing but this, uh, great success again with this book, Old Bones, the, giving Nora Kelly her spotlight. It's, uh, it's wonderful. So thank you guys again for coming on.
3: Well, thank you.
2: Thanks for, uh, for having us. We really appreciate it. And thanks for the interesting questions. And uh, thanks for the drinks. no problem air drinks are the best
1: and uh, and next time we see each other we'll get your real ones promise all right good good all
0: right all right guys thanks again so much enjoy thank Thank you. you thank you all right bye